It's the Tiltcast, episode 514, Noodly Antiques. And this week, guys, we talk Slay the Spire, Fall Guys, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, Disc Room, Project Warlock, and Nightmare Reaper. It's a long one. Stay tuned. Yeah, so a lot of video game-ass video games in here. Tune in. And we're back. It is yet another duo episode of the M-Rated Tiltcast. I'm Nas. I'm Jason. Together with the two of us, you'll get about 30 minutes of bullshit. Bullshit. Some games, some news. It is currently hot as hell right now. It is uh, 98 degrees. going to be 100 by the time we finish this cast. It is 2.16 p.m. on the 23rd of July, 2022. The year that uh, global warming caught up to us. It's hot as hell. It is fucking hot. It's fucking miserably hot. Yeah, I think we're on our sixth or seventh day of a hundred degree straight weather, so me and Jason have been sweating our balls off. And uh pretty much. I'm super glad that I got listened to Vanessa and got that pool. Like this is ridiculous. I um mean, yeah. There's, oh, it's just so good having it. Um, well, your power went out like the other day, right? Yeah. So crazy thing happened this, this week, like Thursday, get off work, literally logged off, was working from home that day. And five minutes later, my power goes out. Oof. Uh, that was around 3.30 in the afternoon. Power was out till almost 9 o'clock. That's so <laughs> double brutal. We, we literally scrambled to get everybody in the pool and then, uh, you know, and like button up the house, like turning off the actually turning off the switch on my power supply to my PC, the big electronics, just so when power came back on, you know, nothing power surged, because uh, that's a thing that can happen. Um, you know, button up the the deep freeze in the refrigerator to make sure nobody's going to have to be in and out of it. And then I went on a solo trip to get ice Water, Gatorade, and something for dinner that we didn't have to cook to heat up the house or fire up the grill because fucking hot outside. Yeah, that's dangerously hot. Yeah, like the house got up to um got up to ninety two degrees inside the house. I believe it. Mine got almost that hot uh, in June before it was this hot. But then uh, uh, about 8 o'clock, uh, by 8 o'clock, there was a good bit of cloud cover because uh, a little pop-up storm had moved through. There was a decent kind of breeze. So we could open up the windows in the house and let some of the cooler, 
now cooler area because believe it or not, it actually got cooler outside than it was inside the house just because of the breeze. Right. Um, but of course, and I was tired as fuck. I was ready to take a nap when I got off work. So, uh, I literally laid here for like 30 minutes trying to get, trying to at least try to start to get to sleep, but couldn't without the power. Once power came back on, it took about an hour and a half for the house to cool down enough that I could actually fall asleep. Yeah. When I had my AC, my AC went out um, about six weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was, um, it got so hot in here that it took my AC like probably about six hours for the house was like below 80. Yeah. Cause it just got so damn hot. But yeah. So speaking of pools, I've been trying to find like really cheap flotation devices. Right. So, um, I got these little hammock things and the hammock things work pretty great. I ordered those off Amazon and then I went by the dollar store looking for some cheapness and did not come out as good as I thought. I got these little like butt nets. Right, you're supposed to string a pool noodle through, and I bought yeah. some pool noodles that that were larger, thinking it would hold my fat ass, and uh, I about drowned. I uh, got one of those, like it'll probably hold somebody around 100 pounds, so definitely not me. Um, but I almost sank to the bottom of the pool with that thing. Um, <laughs> like I kind of float. It would save my life potentially. But I don't think that it's uh, it's rated for fat ass. So yeah. <laughs> it's like this little thing. It's like think if you shape the pool noodle in a U, it slips through a sleeve in the back of this little hammock and then fits through another sleeve to form like a little butt pouch. And yeah. um, I think I would need like a professional grade pool noodle for that to work properly. And I, these are not professional grade. These are. Uh, so I got them for like six, four, fifteen bucks or something. Um, gotcha. yeah, mine's a mine's a little bit a uh, little bit more robust than that. Yeah, thankfully I've got the hammocks for our duo birthday party. Unfortunately, Rusty will be out um, for that. But um, yeah, we've got a uh, got a duo birthday party coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, I've got about 50 enchiladas that I'm going to make. I've My mom is going to help me, so I can assure you that we will fight a lot over the proper recipe for the enchiladas, but I can assure you that they should come out good. Um, this will be a, a mom Martinez special. Um, hopefully more authentic than what you're used to getting. Um, I like to make them big, big old enchiladas. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I practiced sinking quite a bit over the last week. Um, you're right about the rain. It like completely threw off, off my pool's pH, um, which led to me dicking around with it again. Um, I got myself one of those like skimmers. Um, it's not like one that you have to like cut a hole in the side of your pool for. It was just yeah. one that like kind of floats on top and it's doing reasonably well. Um, helping clear off some of the crap so I don't have to skim it nearly as much. Um, and nor am I having to vacuum nearly as much after I got that thing. 
It's like 30 bucks. It's not crazy expensive, but it's making a difference. But, uh, yeah, I've been taking full advantage of that out there, going out there and listening to video game podcasts, floating around, occasionally playing a little bit of Steam on my iPad in the middle of the night with my torches, fending off the bugs. Um, hadn't been bad. Hadn't been bad. Nice. Yeah, I mean, the pool's been a lifesaver this summer. Yeah, it's just too uh, damn hot. I'm glad you got one. Because even if, even if everybody's literally just in it, standing around drinking beer, that's probably going to be a lifesaver at the duo for today. Almost guaranteed. Oh, you sent me one of these uh, noodle sling things. That's much, much better. More expensive than what I got. The dollar store is a dollar yeah. twenty-five for the hammock thing, and then so t- I spent twenty dollars on potentially four of them. Um, not worth it. I shouldn't have went so cheap. Mister Thrifty over there. So I have money for video games, man. I spent a fair amount on the Steam sale, like more than I should have, and spent a little bit of money on the uh, Epic sale. You may spend a little bit of money well, on the VR sale. I'm still debating the VR I, sale, though. I can tell you, uh, you're you're looking at that and saying that's uh, that that's game money. I I can say with full confidence that you know my wife, and you know she didn't spend that on it. Oh well, we'll have to we'll have to talk offline she, and see where I can find something very similar for cheaper she, than forty bucks. She, they don't have them anymore, but Sam's, she got that from Sam's for like half that price. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to literally put like, apparently you can't find the fold-up El Cheapo chairs at Walmart anymore because I was thinking about throwing a couple of those in the pool and just sitting down in there. And I can't seem to find those for cheaper than like 50 bucks a piece or 30 bucks a piece, which is way too much for a disposable chair. Well, not disposable. You know what I mean? The ones, the plastic fabric that used to have back in the 80s that, like, would fall apart after, like, I don't know, two or three seasons, but, like, cheap uh, as hell. Uh, oh, yeah, the the weave fabric lawn chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looks like it's made out of plastic noodles. Yep. That's what I was looking for. Couldn't find it anywhere. Apparently, those are antiques now. Noodle yeah, chairs are. are fucking antiques. They are. Everything you find now is is the uh, is the canvas folding chairs. You you don't just find a you just don't find a good old like bifold lawn chair anymore. Yeah, well, noodly antiques aside, um, have you been getting into the wide world <laughs> uh, something of video games? So, great story. My uh, my ultimate membership's uh, uh, expiring here in a couple days. So I literally spent the uh, the entire week jumping back between uh, uh, playing some more Slay the Spire and playing some Halo. So. Uh, so really, just been, just been getting the most out of those I can get. Oh, God, Halo's such a good game. Um, that 
that single player and spending more time achievement hunting. It's just really good. Um, and of course, Slay the Spire is is just gold for uh, just for being able to turn your brain off somewhat, but still being able to play a game. Um, what, what's your best run so far? My best run is getting halfway through the fourth floor. Okay. You're getting um, the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah. Getting there. Getting there. How many floors total is it? I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a it's been a hot minute since I've played that. But I felt pretty good getting just getting through the through the fourth boss for more than one or two rooms. Uh, after that third boss, it gets pretty freaking brutal. Yeah, it just comes down to you having a good run and getting good unlocks and getting a good deck. And the more you run it, obviously, the easier it gets because of the unlocks. So, yeah, it just That's, it's just the nature of that it, game. It's definitely a question of uh, uh, how lucky you are with card draws, both both in uh, and relic draws in chests, really. Part of it, too, though, is understanding what type of node to hit based on what kind of deck you have and when to take the risk and when not to take the risk on the harder enemies. And then you yeah. get, when you've played it a lot, you get really used to how different cards synergize with each other. And so sometimes you'll be like, normally you're where you used to think, oh, that's a shit deck. You're like, oh, I've got some, I've got some good epic trash in there, or here's a good way to like optimize this to make it worth a damn. And then you'll build around what you used to think was a crap build to where you can just annihilate everything. Um, unfortunately, I never got that good with the robot. It was always with the, the thief or whatever the hell he's called. The silent. Yeah. So the key to the robot really is. It's um, like there's like electric chargers or something you got to build. Yeah. So any kind of. Any kind of. Uh, if you can get generating any kind of damage dealing orb, which is like dark energy or or lightning. You can build your deck around generating orbs and defense and use your defensive cards to block attacks um, and just increase your focus and keep generating orbs. The orbs will do the attacks for you while you concentrate on defense with your cards. Um... And that's kind of the secret behind that one. That's actually the first one I beat the third floor boss with. Gotcha. So that one's being more about de defensive-minded at the start and just whittling people down slowly with with the passive attacks from the orbs and just concentrating on, on building your orb abilities. And defense. I got gotcha. you. Takes longer, takes longer to defeat rooms that way, but no, it's but much more upbeat when you start getting later. 
Yeah, it's a, it's about making sure you can survive into those later waves to become more powerful. So I think you just it's kind of a slow build up to be an awesome guy, I guess. Pretty much. Did you end up playing anything else other than Slay the Spire? Oh. Played some more Halo Infinite for some achievement hunting before my ultimate subscriptions up because it's going to be a couple months before I can renew it. Gotcha. Um, how much and, is it? Uh, how much is the ultimate subscription right now? Fifteen a month. Oh, because you're doing it for the Xboxes too, aren't you? Yep. Yep. But Crystal and I were actually talking about and and toying around with the idea. Of of uh, um, definitely getting rid of Prime, and possibly even Netflix, because you know, aside from aside from a couple of shows that we could always just you know do it for a month or two on to binge. Um, the kids use Disney Plus way more than they do Netflix. Well, um, I've had to. We've re- got H- and we've got HBO. So, yeah, I've realized that I buy a lot of stupid shit on Prime. The, the most recent example, and you can kind of see it here, but it's uh, these are mini blind dusters. So, as I open this up. Because I haven't used it yet. Because I was going to have a rip roar in time dust at many blinds this weekend. <laughs> but these are little fingers with little dusters on it. And then you slip it in the blinds. There's about seven fingers. And then you slide it back and forth to get the dust off. It has proven a little harder than I thought it would be to use this thing. Because you got to line it up and then get it in there. But it does clean really good once it's lined up. Um... Yeah, just be sure to still have a vacuum hose close. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just otherwise you're just knocking all that dust into your air. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I spend entirely too much money on Prime. Or on Prime on just stupid shit. We thought we would use it more, but realistically, all it's really been used for is. Like two orders, maybe three, and for the most part, just me catching up on a bunch of Prime shows that you've already caught up on. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, really, most of the time, it's a waste of money for us. We don't order from Prime that often. She goes out and shops. So, I probably spend about two hundred dollars a month on Amazon. I got a curb. I got a. I got a. I got a Cygnus. It's convenient shopping. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like buying that daily drink from the gas station that costs like three times as much or having a daily Starbucks addiction. I spend about $200 on bullshit on Amazon all the time. And I realized that looking over my money the last couple of months. It's like, why did I spend that much money on stupid shit? Stuff like that. Dust your fingers. Um, yep. So you know. Yep. But I mean, that's that's kind of Amazon's uh, shtick there. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't even buy my coffee off there anymore. Like I just started. I was buying coffee off there, and then I realized that you know it's a little bit better deal. But 
after it's all said and done, end up spending more money. Is it is it really enough to justify the uh, uh, the monthly subscription to Prime? Well, with the amount of shopping I do on Prime currently, yes. But if I curb that shopping, no. That that's that's what we're running. But so, we're actually thinking about that, and then if we do decide on the Netflix, then what we would do is we'd end up just doing two ultimate subscriptions so that all four of the Xboxes in the house are covered. Um, Because, you know, all we got to do is uh, one profile has one of the kids' Xboxes, the home Xbox. The other profile has has the other. And then as long as I'm logged in to a different one and the other profile's logged into a different one, then all four of them can use Game Pass or whatever. Um, you know, yeah, and that saves a hell of a lot of money because there is a lot of there's a lot of stuff on there. I mean, like I said, I just is. I just finished Guardians off there, and uh, what the hell? Well, is as it? much as, as much as there is for PC, there's even more on the Xboxes themselves. True, um, there was so there are some console only Game Pass titles. Um, trying to remember the name that of all the, the kids really love. I'm trying to remember the name of this stupid game I was playing last night that I got super addicted to. Um, what the hell is that called? Um, it's got a saw, a whole bunch of saw blades, disco blade, maybe. Uh, I've got my Xbox app open. Hang on. It's a, it's a the title card is red and yellow. Disc room. Disc Room, yes. So, it's a puzzle game that's kind of, kind of, it is pretty violent. And you're a dude that's, uh, you unlock powers, and you're basically avoiding moving saw blades in every room that are bouncing all over the place. And you get powers like dash, or slow time, or clone, and the room restarts every time you die. And so, there's, usually the basic objectives are last in the room so many seconds, where others are like defeat a boss, and you defeat the boss by collecting these little nodes that add like time. So like it'll add a certain amount of seconds of time, and it'll say like you got to get ten seconds, which means you got to collect ten nodes. And they only pop up after you collect a node, so you collect it by walking over it. And you're doing that all while like reverse bullet hell, right, or actual bullet hell, but it's saw blade hell. Uh, and you're like going and running in weird patterns, trying to avoid all this shit. That's what I was when we we're. So, like, last night we were going to go see a movie. Well, we did go see a movie. And I got ready extremely early. And I was like, I don't want to get started with something that's going to take a long time to get rolling. So, I'm going to try this game out on Game Pass and see what I think. Because I genuinely... I'm pretty much a fan of a lot of Devolver stuff, right? Um, And so, I started playing it. It's like, no bullshit, here's a game. We've got a little bit of a story in this little slideshow. But basically, this is what you're doing. You're dodging saw blades. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, what the hell was the name of that game again? It's a bad name if I can't remember it twice in a row. Disc, disc Room. Disc Room, yeah. So, if you haven't tried it out on Game Pass, it's like one of those, like, not quite turn your brain off, but, like, pay attention. It's one of those twitchy controller games where you gotta, 
move all over the place and use your one power. So you use basically two buttons, your control stick and your A button, and that's it. And it is, every one of these rooms, I haven't lasted longer than a minute in a single room, so it is great for short amounts of time of play. Um, I can't imagine playing it for like three or four hours, but like for jumping into something for just a few minutes, or in that case, ended spending a, ended up spending an hour dicking around with it without realizing it. It's fun. Um, I don't know how long it is or how big, how long the legs are on that game, but disc disc room is pretty good. Nice. Um, the download for it's pretty small. It's a video game ass game, and it, those are the games I typically like a lot. So, um, yeah. speaking of game, though, um, I have I finished a game. I'm in nice. a on a good roll now, kind of figuring out where my motivation is and how how to get myself back into loving gaming, which I am now. Um, I finished uh, Project Warlock. I want to say, I'm going to have to actually look at my deal, but I want to say it took me about 12 or so hours to finish that game. It's a retro shooter. I've talked about it. This will be the third episode I think I've talked about it on. But um, 10 hours, 11 and, a half, 11 and a half hours, how long it took me to beat it. So it's very much like Duke Nukem 3D. Um, it uses the 2D sprites, right? Every angle you look at them, it shows you the full profile of it, but if you get to the side of them a little bit, you realize it's a little flat sprite. But um, it's just a like a, a shooter that makes you find secrets for upgrades and then you use those upgrades to upgrade your magic or your guns. Um, I got to a place where I had a flaming double-barrel shotgun, which was kind of like my go-to, and then I had a rocket launcher that basically shot like a laser so it was a rocket launcher, and then it had an instant hit profile that I could unlock. So I did that, which turned it into a murder machine. Um, nice. It's it's a good game. And then uh, as far as magic powers, I saw some reviews saying the magic wasn't worth it. Well, there is some magic powers that are worth it. There's something that's called something storm. Basically, it just it summons ball lightning and anything that's like remotely close to it. It shocks and kills even really big creatures. Um it drains like half your mana, and I got my mana up to a point where I could use it like four times without running all the way out of mana. It's really good. Um, there's a lot of like situations where it just pops up like 20 enemies all at once firing projectiles at you, and you got to like really uh, dodge and get line of, lock line of sight with things so that you don't fucking die real fast. No jump button. Basically, you use space to interact with everything, and then your other two buttons are your mouse and your left and right click, and that is it. And your mouse will, and of course your number of keys to figure out which button for what weapon. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty simple game. It's got a really good concept, and it's really fun. Like I said, I it was a good game for me to like. It'll show you how many levels you got for each one that you're selecting on the stage select for the next one. And I know there's some kind of endless wave, but I wanted to have another game under my belt that that I beat this year. Um. So, but like overall, um, pretty solid game. It's a, it's about a four out of five. That's what I give it. And I got it for like a dollar fifty on sale. And I don't think it probably, let me pull up the store page. I don't think it sells for that much. Um, $12 is what it sells for right now. 
Yeah, it's worth twelve dollars. It's like a a buck and a quarter an hour. You can get more time out of it than that. Um, a game that I haven't beat that I've got about eight hours in is Nightmare Reaper, which I've talked about. This will be the third week in a row I've been talking about Nightmare Reaper because I've been playing it off and on. Um, that game is still really, really solid. Um, it's again, I haven't, I've had a lot of real busyness at work. So by the time I finish doing everything around the house and working for the day, it's about nine o'clock. So I only had about an hour and a half to game every day, um, for about two weeks, except for the weekend. And then the last weekend I was super busy. So I haven't had a lot of time to dick with it. Um, so, but Nightmare Reaper, like I've explained, gives you all sorts of random ass weapons. Like I got a mop. I don't know why I was mopping up blood, but it was doing something for me. I think I was getting hit points back. Um, but like, you know, uh, having the M60 is really good. There's a, uh, basically like it's a Molotov cocktail, but you can also, it's alternate fires blowing fire. It has a lot more weapon selection than Project Warlock. It's a, it's a better game than Project Warlock. The, the music is, so it's not as good as Mick Gordon Doom. It's Doom Eternal's composer that they hired in after Mick Gordon. So a decent composer is the one that does all the music for Nightmare Reaper. Um, the ambient sound effects are pretty good, too. It has that like really low-poly look to it. it. It doesn't look that impressive until you start playing it and then just realize it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I didn't know how much fun I was going to have with it till I really dug in, and I just... I don't know. I really dig that game. So if you get a chance to play some Nightmare Reaper, um, I think it's really, really worth it. But before I jump into this last game, because I got a couple more last game, I got two more games to talk about. Um, we saw Thor last night. We did. Um, I don't want to spoil anything. Like, if you were to give it a rating, a tilt cast rating, what would you give it? All right. Without light spoiling insignificant, it. Light insignificant spoiler alert. I give this movie a 7 out of 10, maybe 7.5 out of 10, mostly based on goat screams. Goat screams are good. Uh, <laughs> I was, we went with our DM, Dave, and then Matt and his wife. And I was they telling. Are, they are well timed. The goat scream, so if you guys played Wasteland 2 or Wasteland 3, Brian Fargo has a thing about goat screams too, and it's the same sound. Um, there's goats that come into the story pretty early on, and they scream all throughout the whole movie, and it's hilarious. Um, it's a fun movie. It's goofy. Um, it's not the best Thor movie. Um but it was it was worth the time no. we spent. But it is it, it's not the best Thor movie, but it's still um better than one and two. I kinda I kinda make it Ragnarok, Love and Thunder, Thor, and then Dark World is just a piece of crap. I'm not a big fan of Dark World. They went too far uh, into the space magic stuff. I was just. And it's not uh, as cool as like Lord of the Rings. It's not I as gritty. Was, that's the problem. It, yeah, basically. And I, I'm just happy that uh, this didn't turn into um, 
like the reverse Star Trek movie effect. You know, where with the original Star Trek movies, all of the even-numbered movies are the good ones, and the odd-numbered movies are kind of shit. I was afraid that was going to happen to Thor, where one and three are great, and two and four are just horrible movies. Yeah. Um, well, Space Goats are great. Was, this was not a horrible movie. No, it wasn't a horrible movie. We had a lot of fun with it. It it just wasn't a great movie. It was just it was a, it was a decent superhero movie. Um but yeah, we uh we did that instead of doing our tabletop last night. Um and it's just there's a little bit of ham-fistedness with a few things even with some of the plot devices. Um that I think kind of detracted from it without, again, without spoiling it too much. And, uh, it's just, I don't know. The, there are issues with, especially after talking to you and Dave, you know, the lore a lot better. There were some issues with the villain. Um, even though it's played by Christian Bale, which I did not realize. I don't know. how, How do you think he method acted for that? I I actually think he did really well with the with the script that they gave him. He wasn't I I want to say he wasn't too over the top. He was just kind of that right amount of uh creepy cheesy horror guy for for the yeah, way that he... they wrote that role. Yeah, he wasn't. Um, he didn't come across as incredibly cheesy. There were some moments that I realized he was actually acting. They probably paid him a yeah. substantial amount of money. He's a pretty decent actor. Yeah, I mean he, uh, it kind of remind. He almost kind of reminded me of uh, of his character from American Psycho at parts. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, and you know. That's all right. There, there are just some, and understanding that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is quite a bit different than the comics. Um, this is uh, probably one of the that character. That character of Gore is probably one of the larger deviations from the comic version of the character, but not in a bad way. Just in a way that. Not a lot of us would expect. Um, it was still he still made an interesting villain and a uh, and a good choice. It just not a direction we thought we thought we saw that particular character coming from. Yeah, that's fair. Is that dude? Is Chris Hemsworth really that fucking ripped? Is he on like an, an abnormal amount of steroids? Uh, I mean, or is this just movie magic making him look ridiculous? He he is incredibly ripped. Um, I will mostly, say if you are if you are a male attractive person, I'm sure you will be fine with this. If you like ripped dudes, there's a lot no, of shirtless would, Chris Hemsworth. I will say that there is one scene in the movie where it is uh, very clearly uh, has some enhancement. Um. <laughs> 
But in general, <laughs> but in general, um, no, the dude's just fairly healthy and ripped. Like he's done, um, uh, uh, he's done a couple different, uh, documentaries about, um, uh, his, uh, his life in Australia and just wellness and surfing and conservation around, around that country. And no dude's just genuinely ripped most of the time. Well, uh, that is not mine or your genes. Yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I mean, his, uh, his brother Liam's like, the same way. Like, like to get genes like that, you basically just have to eat babies, right? Like, at that point, like, I figure that's the only way to do it, right? You got to eat babies. I don't know about that, bro. But <laughs> lots of vegetables and fish, that's for sure. That's And babies. Diets. Anywho. Um, I mean, it's the same, it's same story with... Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, but he's like massive. That dude's huge. Those Samoan jeans, man. Like he's probably already like like two inches taller than you and outweighs you and like by about seventy pounds in pure muscle. Oh yeah. And he's like in his fifties too, isn't he? Uh yeah. Yeah, he looks ridiculous. Yeah, he's a I think he's approaching 60 well i'm not going to fact check that right now i will say um i did start playing monster hunter rise light bowgun build um i didn't get far enough into it to get to the new content yet so i don't have enough to speak to about that when i get to it though guys i'll talk about it it's one of the best-selling capcom games of all time right now um well just in general for since its launch for the dlc so there are other podcasts if you need to look into the the uh really dig into it that that won't be us. If Rusty was on here, I'm sure he'd be talking about it, but I haven't had enough time to really dig into it. Well I have, but I just it hasn't been what I've been wanting to jam on. Um so I finally picked up a game um that I, I picked up about six weeks ago and just haven't touched. I got it on a Green Man cell. I got the um, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous um, on a green man sale for like $27. And I've been meaning to check this out. I was really hesitant because the pacing in the first Pathfinder game is a little rough and the difficulty spikes are a little bit stupid. And it takes a while for the first game to get rolling, like hours, right? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of quality of life stuff they did with uh, Wrath of the Righteous that really helps out with a lot of this stuff. So, A, this is a CRPG, and it's got two modes. It's got your classic hit, hit space to pause and then do, cue all of your moves. Or it's got turn-based mode based on your initiative, which I actually like a lot. It's something they did in uh, Pillars of Eternity. They gave you a turn-based mode, and it does move slower, but it feels like you're actually using all of the abilities of your characters, and you're not just on auto-attack, and I like that. And I don't mind the slowdown in combat. And the thing about Wrath of the Righteous is within 10 minutes, you're already figuring out these systems of the game. It's like, here's the story, here's what's going on, and boom, now we're like just digging in. 
Um, you got one bullshit quest that takes you about two or three minutes to help you understand what you do with your journal, and then you're into the action, and it's already helping you build your party, and you're already starting to figure out the systems. Um, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing as far as my character. I'll just say that. So I rolled an Inquisitor so I could have kind of a jack-of-all-trades character. I was going to roll Sorcerer, and I'm kind of glad I actually went Inquisitor. It's got all of the different Pathfinder classes, so like every one of these has like seven subclasses. There's probably like a hundred classes that you can play in uh, Wrath of the Righteous. It's ridiculous. There's just so many different classes. Um, but the quality of life stuff with like the turn-based combat like helped me get a better idea of like when I'm using abilities. That's one of my things. Like when you play early Baldur's Gate, right? Like you basically on a, your character's AI and what they want to do, and you kind of got to set up. Especially in the later CRPGs like Pillars, you kind of set up gambits in a way, to use a Final Fantasy term, of like the types of actions they'll prioritize. And it's really takes a long time to get it right. And so there's a whole bunch of time spent with your strategy on how you set up that character. And then you realize that that strategy sucks. And then you got to rebuild that whole thing. Um, Turn-based mode takes all that away. So you have full control of your entire party. And then you really get a better understanding of the synergies of the different abilities. And it tutorializes all the different stuff as it comes up instead of just info dumping on you at the very beginning, which I feel like um, Kingmaker did. I know there's some bullshit minigame called Crusade, which is part of this game that I'll run into later, which I haven't run into yet. But I've already put almost seven hours into this since last night after we finished watching that movie. Um... I uh, I stayed up till two in the morning last night, um, dicking around with this and getting getting rolling. And then I spent the better part of this morning between chores and that, dicking around with it. In fact, I was playing it right before we got jumped on this show, um, because I like it that much. It's a good looking CRPG graphic wise, about like Divinity Two, maybe a little bit better than that, better lighting and stuff like that, and better detail on the world. Um, seems to be running pretty good. Uh, lots of environmental effects going on. It's the same kind of top-down view, but not a forced perspective like some of the CRPGs. Meaning, like, you can not you can rotate the whole world, but you can't rotate up and down over the top, right? So it forces the perspective that way. But it uh, the way that your background is, it looks like you got a big dick hanging in front of you, Jason. Um, uh, completely pulled mic. me out. It's, it's my mic. Do you see You're it? welcome. Yeah, you got a big old, big old, big old dick mic there. Um, so that <laughs> completely distracted me. You're um, welcome. <laughs> so, but yeah, so the thing about the Inquisitor, though, is I've got him specializing in glaives because I thought that would be interesting, and that happened to align with his deity. It lets me, you can either let all of your characters auto- um, level or you can level them specifically which is what I'm doing so right now I basically got my Inquisitor which has a array of support spells and melee abilities um, and a couple of like damage spells and it can use fucking fucking uh, what do you call them um, write it down it's a scroll um, and then I've got a character that's a shaman which deals with dex weapons so she's got a rapier and a buckler, but also can cast some spells, which are damage or crowd control. I've got a, um, basically like a rogue spellcaster. So my rogue has touch-based spells, 
and daggers. Um, I've got a weapon that talks to me, which is kind of cool. Um, I've got, uh, let's see, what is the other character? I've got a paladin, which is basically my main tank. And then my character is the off tank with his two hander. Um, I'm not playing it on impossible mode or anything like that. I am just playing it on normal cause I want to get used to the systems, but apparently there's already like two DLC chapters that, that are out for this now, which if I finish this main campaign and like it enough, I may end up purchasing. It's the closest to Dragon Age Origins that I've played in a very long time or Path or Pillars of Eternity, the first one that I've played in a long time. The story seems engaging. There's a lot of voice acting, which I actually like, and I'm not just skipping through pages and pages of dialogue. Um, the character interactions make sense so far, and the battles are are done pretty well. Like, I'm really enjoying the battles and I'm enjoying the impact of the weapons. I'm enjoying how things are synergizing together. There's these like teamwork activity things that you can get. So like me and my shaman have something called like precision power or something like that. So I basically get an extra 1d6 attack between the two of us if we're fighting the same creature in melee. Um, like there's little systems like that. But as these little things pop up, it tutorializes them again. It doesn't tutorialize it in a big old info dump at the beginning of the game, and then you forget it halfway through the game. So, like, there's other things that are neat about this. So, like, in these types of games, right, it'll say disarm trap. It'll pause the game, and then you pick the character that you need to, that you know has the best, you know, trap disarm skill. And this, it auto-selects the right person to disarm the trap that has the ability to do so. But you also have to follow a line to where you can disarm the trap. So there'll be a trap in the middle of the hallway, and then you'll see this little yellow line that comes off of the trap that leads into another room, and then there's a little hidden object in there that you have to have the high perception to see. And then once you discover it, then you disarm it, and then you go back and you get a pat across the little area that had the trap. Um, you'll run into encounters which are optional that have very difficult characters, and you need to use your potions and buffs and stuff like that to, to get past. Otherwise, your character is just going to die. Um, and there's a couple of encounters where I did have, like, several deaths um, that took me a while to really get past. It saves at checkpoints pretty frequently, so you're never completely foobarred. Um, but it's also got the F5 to save, so I'm, like, opening up a door, going into the next chamber. I'm like, it's uh, a lot of guys. I'm just going to go ahead and F5 this real quick and make sure I don't, like, completely lose my whole party and give her a whirl. But with turn-based mode, right, like you've got the whole flanking and backstab maneuvers. So, like, there's the whole positioning of things. And I think when you're doing the pause and then repositioning, like, you lose some of that with that. Like, it's more organic and fluid with the pause time combat like that. But then you got characters auto-attacking and you're not, like, really understanding what's going on in the battle. And I, I like that part of it to where instead of pause send this guy, send this guy, send this guy to get them spread out in a flanking maneuver so I can get my main tank in. Now I'm, they're in an initiative turn-based order, so I'm moving them out of the way to get my main tank in to essentially grab aggro and then moving them in to flank to get those uh, badass crits in. And uh, so far, man, it's good. I haven't had this much fun in a CRPG in a long time. It's really good. Um, nice. if, if you're into that kind of stuff, this is excellent. I, the, it's hard to articulate all the things about it that are better than Pathfinder, except that Pathfinder had like these crazy difficulty spikes really early on. 
And it felt like you had to have the perfect party to figure that out. Now, from my understanding, on the really hard difficulty modes, you almost have to go special builds to survive. But I'm not playing it like that. I'm playing it on the... Uh, essentially, it's the... You've played CRPGs before. You're pretty decent at them, but you're not amazing at them. Or you don't understand the Pathfinder rule set real well, so it gives... You take 20% uh, less damage on the normal difficulty um, from creatures. Which which helps out. Like, I am still going through a shitload of potions. I'm still going through a lot of heals and a lot of my rest spells and things like that. And it feels natural. You also don't have to carry supplies with you everywhere like you did in Pathfinder. Like, you'd be like, how much weight do I need to bring with me on this? Am I going to be out? Do I'm going to need 10 campings? And Like, you just, it's just the bullshit stuff that you don't. It, nobody cares about that. Like, I'm not RPing a survival game with my D&D &D adventure. Like, that's fine for me when I'm doing a campaign with us in a situation where the DM can make sure that we don't run into a situation where the game's over because we ran out of food. You know what I mean? Um, so, pen and paper, that makes sense to have carry supplies and food and rations and all that shit. Whereas in a video game, like... I think it actually kind of takes away from the fun because you have something scripted. You don't have a way to go unscripted to get around a menial stupidity to get back to the fun of the game, right? Like, we're always conscious of that stuff, and our DM weaves in ways for us to get more supplies, etc. But we never kind of run into this, like, survival game thing that tends to happen with these sometimes, like Neverwinter Nights or Pathfinder Kingmaker or... Even sometimes in Pillars of Eternity. Um, it also has some of the random event stuff, too, as you traverse the map. But, like, I'm enjoying it really solidly. Um, I almost wish I didn't have people coming over to the pool tonight, because I do want to play it after this, but I know I'm going to be entertaining in the pool today, so I won't be doing this till way late, but I'll probably be playing it stupid late again, because it's just good. Um, nice. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Um, I'm finding the pacing yeah. better than Deadfire that is on Game Pass. So if you want to get into a good one, Deadfire is great. Um, but I can't ever seem to get past the fourth act because it just I run out of gas because there's too much running around with your ship to get checkpoints for different things. And yeah. the the main story in that's actually not that long. Like you find yourself running into the main story and almost finishing it, but there's like. 7 billion side quests in that game. And that's where that bloat loses me a little bit. I, f I feel like Pillars 1 is better because of the way they paced it out. Pillars 2 has some great ideas, but I never understood the naval combat. Um, and I never quite got that great at figuring out what map nodes to finish and how to prioritize my side quests the way that this is a little bit more linear. And I think that plays to its advantage because the some of the side content for Pillars 2 dead, Deadfire are, are just not that great. So, like, out of all the CRPGs, it's it's a great one, but it's not the best one. I, honestly, Tyranny is excellent. If you ever get a chance to play Tyranny, that's, like, one of Obsidian's best, and it's nobody knows about it. Um, and uh, Pillars, the first one, is excellent. Pillars is basically just Baldur's Gate. Like, it's so good. Um, and right now, Pathfinder... Um, what did I call it? The Wrath of the Righteous is really good. Exceptionally good. Um, it's just, it's just hitting a spot with me. And, you know, I've been talking about it for 15 minutes straight because I just, I'm excited to play it. 
It takes, I've played a lot of video games. It takes a lot to really get me at this level of excitement for a game, and it's getting me there. That's good. Um, I can tell you one that I oddly found myself getting excited about, and I forgot to say this earlier. Um, you know, I think it's been two weeks ago now. Um, the uh, developer by, um, behind Fall Guys, Epic, made Fall Guys free-to-play. Um, and believe it or not, that is a really fun game to get to get your kids in on if you have multiple consoles or PCs that can play the game. It's it's one of those literally just play in group play. What it what um, is the premise of Fall Guys? So Fall Guys basically as a premise is uh uh almost like uh online online Mario Party, only it's without um it's without the silly stage stuff. Um so you basically uh whenever you enter a show, a show is four stages. Um and those stages could be a race, they could be uh memory games, uh etc. But most of them usually are most of them are races. Um, and the memory games or platform games are generally just try not to fall off. Um, but that makes it super simple to play with the elementary school kids. And um, Is there not any cross-chat? Uh, there is. There's cross-play and cross-chat. Well, I'm getting so at I've it. Literally, I've literally got... Um, now, since we go in as a party, there's no chat with um, anyone else online. I was just uh, saying because least, of mature chat for your kids. Yeah. Um, uh, but you can, uh, of course, you can you can join general chat if you want to, but I keep my kids out of it just for, you know, reasons. Other kids... And adults on that game may not necessarily be as well behaved, but most chat usually happens in groups anyway. So there's not generally a whole lot of chat out um, outside. I've found um, I played several uh, um, solo shows just to uh, by myself, just checking out that part of it. And there, you can so you can cross play with PC, right? Delicious chat. You you can cross play with PC, right? You can cross play on all platforms. So, so I've literally got I was playing it on my PC while two kids were playing it on an Xbox and my youngest was playing it on the PS4 Uncle Rusty gave him. Um and all of us in the in the same game and and chat group. Interesting. Maybe I'll jump on there with you guys one afternoon or whatever. Yeah, they're just fun little races. It's like, whatever. But it's, it, it's it been like everybody in the same game, and I don't have to worry about the content that pops up, you know? Right. And then it's it's a video game-ass video game, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, but again, it's one that's fairly simple for the kids. The only thing, the, the only thing that 
kind of triggers the youngest sometimes is uh uh if he gets caught up in a group and gets knocked off stage just because he was in the middle of a bunch of people um because these games usually start with like 60 people in a race so if you're not careful you can get bumped off the map just running in a group uh and and be out the entire show because uh because of that and that's why we we run as a group either the entire party makes it through the stage or or no one does and it keeps your kids from uh feeling feeling bad huh i wouldn't say that i still don't mind making (laughs) my kids feel bad every now and then because uh the world is cruel and you still need to learn to deal with disappointment but uh uh, but it does keep everybody together and keep people um, from getting angry because skill levels are different. Um, right. You know, because this is a new game they just started playing, especially for the younger two, it can get really uh, um, frustrating if Marley and I are going and we're literally getting through every stage because or just more experienced with games in general than they are. So. Well, speaking of Uncle Rusty, I did get a chance to talk to him for a little bit the other day. He's pretty close to being ready to uh, jump on here. Um, I'm not going to give him a time frame because it's not fair, but I would say if Rusty was less OCD, he could probably be podcasting right now, but he's, he's, he's too OCD for that. And things are slightly unpredictable, and, you know, unpredictability with Rusty is... Not going to work. So when it becomes predictable and he feels comfortable, he'll be on the show. Um, but mm-hmm. he's he's got a full uh, full on studio. He's working on it. His uh, roommate right now is also a streamer. So making sure the two of them can he can his buddy can stream and he can uh, podcast at the same time is a big priority for them. Right now they can kind of do one or the other. It took him about. We were talking for about three hours the other day, and it took him all three hours to download Stray. So wow, that's not like even six that gigs big of a game. Yeah, so about two gigs an hour is where his speed is at. Which uh, that game would have taken me about five minutes to download. Um, start uh, five to ten minutes, depending on what the servers are doing. It, that's, I mean, that's the sad part is for you and I, that's about the only thing that really slows down our game download because both of us are well over 200 megs a second. So, yeah, I said at 50 and then I, I spoke about it a couple shows ago. Like since I got my modem swap, I swapped out my modem and really fine tuned it with my router. I have zero issue. My Internet's faster than what I'm rated for. Which, you know, I won't say the provider because I don't need them to try to manually throttle me or anything like that. But I take, I nearly have the top tier package having the second tier package, which is crazy. Um, I'm usually getting about five to seven hundred megabits down. Um, still. And I'm, I'm rated, I'm I'm rated for about 500. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm usually well over 300. Um, I'm rated for like 200 or 250, something like that. Yeah, it's um, it's only like I save ten dollars if I go to the next package down, which is like a hundred meg or two hundred meg or something like that. And it's to me, it doesn't even it's not even worth it. Right. 
Well, and I mean, still, still downloading stuff fairly good. I never have to worry about streams or anything. It literally takes both of us, you know, five, call it four or five minutes to, to, uh, pass one of our episodes back and forth on, on yeah. Google Drive. Like, on an upload, it, it, it takes, no big. well, what you guys don't know is it's an uncompressed wave file and we upload it. So it's usually about a gig and a half. So my, my upload is not, so I also go through a switch from this PC to the, so this connection back here is gated on, by the switch at top speed for this and my work computer at a hundred. But then I also have this tuned down to 50 because I don't want to, if it's doing like a windows update or whatever, I don't want it to fuck with my work. Um, but I also don't, yeah. the way my work VPN is set up, it will hog my entire bandwidth if it sees it available. So I gate that connection at 50 on purpose even though I only really need about 10 down and about three up. But I end up in a lot of meetings and I'm usually downloading pretty large Excel files. So I'm okay with it gobbling up to 50, but no more than that. You don't need to fuck up, you know, me streaming music or shit to my phone while I'm working. But that being said, do you think it's a good time for us to take a break? Yeah, I think so. We've been going about an hour. Let's get some news together and we'll be back. All right, see you guys in a second. And we're back. Woo! Been uh, going through the news. Um... I wanted to just throw something out there. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of this website, but there's a website called Play Tracker. Yeah. And Play Tracker also can track people who have Steam Deck deposits or at least accounts credited with having the Steam Deck deposit. Um, there's no official sales numbers out there because it's still pretty far out. I threw down five bucks on it, right? Um Right now, there's an estimated 1.5 million people that have a deposit through Play Tracker. I was just kind of looking through stuff the other day and found that, and I was like, that's curious. Because um, I was wondering why it was delayed as bad as it was. But it sounds like from all available data, just mind you, use that caveat, it seems that this is probably selling gangbusters. And who can don't like who can deny people that because potential to turn it into an emulation machine on top of being able to play AAA titles and being relatively similar in price to a Switch, make it like a better Switch because it's not locked down by stuff that's on Switch or have Nintendo tax. Um, so I'm super excited about it. I don't even... I've got a lot of different reasons why I want a Steam Deck. Uh, one of those is just playing on the couch without playing on my tablet and then going through the tablet controls. Um, or potentially hooking it up to my TV in the back room and just playing shit on my Steam Deck versus playing it on Steam Link. Um, Steam Link works pretty good now, but um, there's still a little bit of hinkiness to it sometimes. And well, uh, I could tell you for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, watching uh, uh, reviews from several YouTubers, it is a much better 
uh, streaming device than any Steam Link or tablet or laptop is. Um, yeah, well, it's not stre- there's no other OS or software weighing it down. And there's no streaming. You're playing it right off the hard drive. Well, no, that's why I'm saying even if you did use it for in-home streaming, it's much better at that than any other device people have tested. Oh, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about it for just a second because I'm pretty curious as to when I, they just now started doing the quarter two shipments and mine just says sometime after October, 2022. So I'll get mine eventually, but definitely not anytime soon. It's basically, I'm thinking, I'm hoping I get it by Christmas. Um, yeah, you'll probably get it towards the end of the year. Yeah. So I'm not that worried about it because I'll have the, the money well before then. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, um, microtransactions in the real world. So for those of you, you know, you wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't interested in video games, but for all everybody's, uh, well off friends or family, um, BMW is now doing microtransactions. So they're charging a monthly fee of $18 or $180 a year for heated seats. There's a software block on heated seats in a feature in your car. I know Tesla does some of this stuff too. Um, I think it's kind of crazy. What, what's your thoughts on it? I, I think it's absolutely nuts that we're doing this on cars now. I, it, when I buy a car, I want these features to be a part of my car, not be a, um, you know, not be a subscription service unless the fact that these features are not enabled by default means that the car base price is less. But how could it be since you're still installing the hardware for it? I, I just think it's fucking stupid. Give me the I'm buying the hardware when I buy the car. I should be able to use the hardware. Imagine just looking at your it, monthly bills and you're like, oh, yeah, that's my heated seats bill. Yeah, this is not this is not like with uh um you know with Game Pass or uh, uh or buying a buying a monthly subscription to something like EA Play or something like that that lets you play video games on hardware you already own. No, heated seats point, cost more than my point, Game Pass subscription. Yeah, at that point, you're you're buying a subscription service to uh, to play games on your hardware, but at the same time, you could still buy those games outright yourself. It this is not the same as that. This is literally a company telling you you can buy this hardware, whether it's heated seats. This also applies to. Um, uh, cruise control, um, uh, vehicle status, etc. Um, this is not just heated seats. Like you literally have to buy the right to use digital key or heated seats or cruise control, um, heads up display. It, they're basically they're turning their car into a service. 
but you still have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for the hardware. That's fucking ridiculous. You're making me pay for hardware I to use hardware that I already purchased from. Yeah, I just I think it's kind of predatory to be honest with you. And at some point you there'll know, be like I, a whole a whole like internet rampage. Well, no, if you can afford a BMW, then you may just pay the fee. But I could see like somebody in our price range maybe get a BMW and then you figure out how to jailbreak the software on your car so that you could have all the features unlocked. You know. Yeah, I mean now luckily. This is not something we'll have to deal with in the U.S. because there are um, there are currently different laws and regulations in place that prevent BMW from uh, uh, from doing this here in the states. But that doesn't stop them from doing it in Europe and Canada currently, um, and that's just it's. There's no other word to use for it except for frustrating because this is this is car makers trying to get in on this it, with I mean and realistically um it's part of part of the reason I've not been high on Tesla um because Tesla's been doing this since the get go um you have to pay a uh upfront total subscription of several thousand dollars or um or a monthly subscription to use certain features like heated seats uh uh self-driving etc um in their cars and this is just the other car makers getting their own way into this and i think it's stupid does something like this make sense on something like a leased vehicle where you're literally renting the vehicle basically and maybe a little bit more would i still be mad about it absolutely i i don't see any good coming from this this type of trend at all yeah it makes me mad makes me real mad but instead of getting mad about everything um who's at my door Somebody with a big old package. See, that's oh. my Amazon. Yay, Amazon. Um, moving on, uh, the FTC approved uh, uh, Sony's acquisition of Bungie last week. Uh, so Bungie is now officially part of the PlayStation family. Um, according to both PlayStation and Bungie, they, uh, they are remaining... Um, an independent subsidiary, um, which is just business speak for, uh, what do you mean? We, we still, which is just business speak for still, we get to make some big decisions, but ultimately big daddy, Sony can change things if they want to, <laughs> if they don't like it. Um, now this, this comes, you know, during a time where, um, you know, play on Destiny Two, uh, this whole acquisition. I mean, play on Destiny Two it dived. Um, Bungie has 
um, said repeatedly over the last couple years. Um, they want to release at least one non-Destiny game by 2025. Um, but, you know, that is all in the future and nothing is nothing has been said concrete about any IP outside of Destiny. So, you know, is is this still a good move? I don't know. I My personal feeling is Bungie, for, for all of its success in, in creating the Halo franchise and, uh, and with what success there was with Destiny 1, I, I still feel like they've not really proven that they can really do anything other than Halo multiplayer, because that's basically what Destiny is. I, with some RPG elements, but it's still a... I don't know. I'm just not interested in playing Destiny anymore. Honestly, you know what Destiny could do is create more things to do in Destiny that don't require a raid. Yeah. The open world events are boring, at least in my opinion. It's, I got burned out on it. And they reduced the amount of strikes, so I got bored with that as well. Um, I can't tell you how many there are because, you know, they released another season, so maybe they're up to like 10 or something at this point. But I just... It's just not my jam anymore. I got burned out a long time ago. If you if you are high on the Destiny, you're probably listening to TVGP since uh, Boston literally runs a wiki for that. So it's all the more power to them. Like, they definitely know their Destiny stuff, but I just can't do it anymore. Yep. It, 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 I had a lot of fun a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> I'm done. Um... Uh, and then also this this week, uh, the uh, news came out saying that we could see a decision by the FTC on the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard uh, as soon as next month. Oh, okay. So we'll finally get some some kind of resolution on that. Yep. Um, what do you think that uh? Why do you think that Wallpaper Engine is sometimes in the top 10 games played on Steam? Uh, porn wallpapers? Kind of. So in, in China, it's illegal to watch porn. Um, it'll net you up to six months of jail time. So oh, there's a lot of people really anxious to beat the meat, they found a way to use Wallpaper Engine for porn downloads, as well as video downloads. Um, and through Steam Marketplace, you can download stuff that you see that there's a whole lot of, like, Chinese words labeling on the stuff, and it's the way that the Chinese people are getting away with rebelling against tyranny by beating off to digital videos of naked people. Um, because they're directly downloading porn through Steam Workshop. Um, Jeez. That's, I mean, I uh, love their inventiveness there. <laughs> that's, uh, though I gotta say, that sounds, uh, that sounds very hard up. Uh, hard, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
you know, I was watching fuzzy HBO when I was a kid. So I can understand. Um, one of the things you take advantage is your, your freedom to beat off to shit on the internet. Um, it's true. It is true. Sorry. If, well, sorry about all the clinkage. Little Lola here was uh, very excited to look at a box. Well, uh, in less pornographic lines, um, there was a there was statements uh, released by Mojang, um, Minecraft developer, uh, on Wednesday that basically said, "Yeah, we're not allowing blockchain or NFTs." anytime soon or ever um they they basically said that uh um uh and anyone who uh who doesn't like that um is is fine not using their game um they said they do not want players or creators actively involved in buying selling or trading nfts um which is is encouraging. I mean, they're the first developer to really come out and say, "Nope, not in our space." Um, and I think that's a big move because if there's any game that was uh, pretty much perfectly positioned for that sort of thing, it was definitely Minecraft. Uh, and is encouraging. I will definitely continue to support them. Even though I don't play the game, my kids do. So, so if you want to, you know that Amazon's doing a Fallout TV series, right? Yes. Um, so apparently, if you search Fallout Staten Island, there is a bunch of people stamping photos of a set that is on Staten Island that is of a super duper mark. Um, they look pretty good it's got the weird atomic cars out in the uh parking lot and it uh i don't know it looks pretty fallouty like they've got the worn look on it and this is just people this is not enhanced this is literally people snapping pictures um i'm gonna look at this car is this one of the nuclear cars now they've taken some like really rusted up set cars that are old cars. I did see the picture of the super duper Mart. Well, go further because there's actually uh actually that's a, a picture from the game. Look at, but look at Fallout Staten Island and you'll see the pictures that they have of the set. Um, apparently there's a huge parking lot set up with the super duper Mart for the Fallout series. Um, jump kind of, I'm really curious about, right? Like I'm a pretty big fallout fan. And like I'm thinking about tattoos I'm getting. It's, I'm got to think about possibly doing a fallout collage of some sort. I mean, if there's, if there's any game series that it definitely makes sense doing a, uh, doing a TV series or a movie on it's definitely Fallout. Uh, the you can the literally do whatever around, you want. You you really can, and um, the stories 
just kind of fit the Hollywood M.O. Uh, much more than than other games. And the lore in Fallout, while expansive, again, is still close enough along the lines to a lot of things Hollywood has done in the past um, that I think it's really kind of it's kind of hard for them to be completely disappointing uh, with their with their writing or direction, I would think. Um, now, granted, uh, anytime we see a video game adaption, the uh, uh, the uh, percent chance of it being a giant steaming piece of crap uh, is still high. Uh, there's nobody that's done perfect. I mean, the Halo series, for being as as good as I thought it was, definitely had its issues. Right. Um, you know, those I won't necessarily go into. I still enjoyed the series. I think it was... I think it was good enough. But good enough is not a blockbuster by any means. Right. Um... Honestly, when it comes to like movies or shows that felt like Fallout, the road probably feels the most like a Fallout movie. Um, even though there's yeah. not lasers or weird technology, it has that like burned out apocalypse feel without zombies, essentially. <clears throat> yeah, and, and that's the other thing is you don't. That would be. That's the thing is you don't. You have built-in mechanics, not just for for zombies, but if you do it right, you can have that mix of feral ghouls and smart ghouls and show something different than the Walking Dead or the Road formula, though. Yeah, without... Um, the ghouls aren't necessarily zombies, right. The especially like having the different named characters from the different ghouls would be interesting, because I want to... Yeah. I want to see. I want to see more of that. Um, one thing that's also the, weird about the real hard part. The real hard part I see with that series is super mutants. Yeah, they're going to um, have to be CGI. That's something you. That's some right, but that's something you definitely have to do right. You have to invest the right amount of time and money into into those for for them not only to be convincing, but just to be to be correct. Um, you know, su- super mutants are definitely smart. Um, some of them are extremely smart. Um, they're extremely long lived, etc. So it's it's that's the one element of the Fallout franchise that I feel is the most vulnerable to uh well, to adaption. I can tell you that they're not going with the original storylines because. The original storylines is one is finding the water chip for your vault that went out. There's no super duper mark. Two is you're part of a culture of people that formed a tribe and went reverse civilization all the way down to its roots. So they were like a essentially a South American tribe that you have this one person who has who goes out into the world to explore what's going on outside of this group that is essentially like deep like went back in time to using spears and hunting and and having like a hunter-gatherer culture so they like went completely reversed in time three 
um, is you coming out of a vault. And so there is a Super Duper Mart in three. So it's the first Bethesda game. Four, or I say four, um, not four, but uh, New Vegas. New Vegas. Is a completely separate area. New Las Vegas, right? And then four um, also has a Super does it? I think it does. And four has a completely different storyline. So they don't actually have to follow those storylines, but I feel like they're probably going to follow four or three. Um, but I feel like the way that they'll get away with it and make it a little bit more believable would be to go four because there's, they don't have to follow that specific storyline because that's the thing about fallout is you're a character in the world. You're not, there is a big bad of sorts, but it's always just a part of the world that exists and you're in part of that struggle in that particular region to become part of the importance, which is why, like, in a lot of ways, 76 works so well because you're just some of the people that are united together, right, to re-bring an order back to the area, which in the same, uh, 4 has a whole thing you're bringing a whole bunch of people together to fight a big bad. Three does that too, but one and two again being completely different writers, and the original writers didn't want to make you the savior of the wasteland. You weren't. Um, you're just a dude that gets kind of caught in a whole bunch of circumstances, or a gal, whatever, right? Whatever your avatar is, um, which is one of the reasons I like it a lot. Uh, New Vegas, yeah, that has a big bad. Damn it. Yeah, New Vegas has a big bad. The the thing about if they're going to make do it in Staten Island, I feel like it's probably going to be closer to three. Well, um, it's only a, you'll have. It's just the sets in Staten Island. The, huh? The sets just in Staten Island because three's in in Washington D.C. Right, but I'm saying that entire area, uh, Washington D.C., New York, etc. That's all the Conclave and Brotherhood of Steel. I think we'll just, I think it'll just be kind of like a day in the life of that area. But if they've got to have a lot more than that one set for it, because it's mostly meant to be an adventure. I mean, there's a lot of exploding heads and things like that in Fallout. But the whole thing about Fallout is kind of discovery and adventure and going through scenarios that are tense and foreboding. I'm just, I'm looking forward to see what they do with it, to see if it's any good. Because like we both know the boys turned out good. So, if they can do that with the boys, I feel like they can make something gritty for Fallout, and I'm 100% behind it. Um, oh, yeah. I don't really have any other news. I, oh, I do have one other piece. So, Grounded comes out in September, which is that uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids video survival game, right? Um, right. They already have a TV series slated to cover the same source material, oh, which okay. is weird. Because I didn't know that game was that big or that long. But I guess somebody really wanted to use another premise for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And since we lack new ideas, of course, we went with this because it's the closest thing to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And honestly, if you're younger than 30, you don't know what the hell we're talking about unless you just like old movies. Um, I mean, or unless you're my kids who I've forced to, who I have forced to watch the movies I grew up with. Well, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a cool... Well, I don't know if it holds up today, but it was a cool movie when I was a kid. I mean, it it still it still somewhat does. Um, they don't make two, movies with stupid... definitely looks super cheesy nowadays. They don't make a lot of movies with that goofy of a premise anymore. I do like that part about 80s movies of just... Here's a random premise that would be really cool on a script. 
um, and build a story around this, little people. Well, well, well let's face it. Uh, uh, when it comes to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, the second one, Rick Moranis made those films. Like yeah, that was the real. Wasn't he survive? He's been surviving off those royalties now for like forty years, right? I'm raising his kids. Yeah, yeah. Like after that, he basically just disappeared. Well, his so his wife got cancer and ended up passing away, and he completely dropped out of acting after the uh, uh, third uh, uh, Shrunk the Kids movie. Uh, which was kind of a, it was almost it was almost the quality of a of a Disney directed DVD DVD film. Uh, Disney owns the franchise, of course. Uh, uh, but he did that and basically fell off the map uh, when his wife passed. Uh, but it was to do something good. It was to concentrate on raising his kids. Um, yeah, he hasn't really done anything since the nineties. And nope, the closest we've gotten is uh, him agreeing to do that mint commercial with uh, uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Um, Ryan Reynolds literally got him to come out and do that one commercial. And that's the most we've seen of Rick Moranis behind a camera in decades. That's fine. I mean... We don't really need a Spaceballs remake, and he made a lot of Spaceballs, so. I mean, yeah, the, he did the movie and the animated series. Well, um, I don't really got anything else, do you? Nope. All right. Well, Jason, where can you find us? Find us at, at thetiltcast.com. Find us on Facebook and twitter.com slash tiltcast. Our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash the real tiltcast, and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Yeah, find some friends of the show. We got Cabbage KBEG. We've got For the Love of Gaming. We've got BMFcast.com, um, NoQuarters.net, and TVGP.tv. Follow them for all things Destiny. And with that, it's the end of the show. Peace. <laughs>